Chapter 113 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barony. Varney the Vampire, Volume 2, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 113 James Anderson Seeks and Obtains an Interview with Mrs. Williams. The report which, in accordance with what he had heard from Mrs. Williams, Jack Pringle felt himself compelled to make to the young man whom he had saved from the wreck, but too surely convinced him that all his hopes were dashed to the ground, and that it was indeed but too true that Helen had consented to become the wife of another. There could be no mistake in the affair, or the slightest loophole for escaping an entire and complete conviction of the faithlessness of her in whom he had so deeply confided for his future happiness. The blow appeared to fall upon him with a stunning effect, and for some time he seemed to be quite incapable of thought or action. But Jack Pringle rallied him upon this state of things, and tried hard to induce him to view the matter with the same kind of philosophy that he would have brought to bear upon it. "'Come, come,' he said. "'Don't be downhearted about a woman. "'Cheer up, my lad. "'There's many a better fish in this sea "'than has ever yet been got out of it. "'You may depend upon that.' "'I could have staked my life upon her good faith.' "'Likely enough. "'And so can we all upon the good faith "'of the woman we happen to love and admire. "'But what is there in the old wide world "'so common as being jilted by a wench?' And when it does happen, a man should whistle her down the wind, and forget her all at once and for ever. I have no doubt, said James Anderson, that such is good philosophy. But it's a hard thing to tear away from the heart at once an image that has lain enshrined in its inmost recesses for many a month. Perhaps it is. But the best remedy in all the world is to look about for another. I know that from experience in these matters. You do so, and you will soon be able to forget the girl who has jilted you. James Anderson shook his head and smiled faintly as he said, I fear I should never love another as I have loved her. The heart, when once it has loved as I have loved, can never know another feeling. I cannot with any hopes of success undertake such a mode of cure as that which you point out to me. Oh, you will think differently in a little while, I can tell you. Time does wonders in these cases, and before you are a month older you will be in quite a different frame of mind to what you are now. I must confess I should not like to be all my life the subject of never-ending regret, but at the same time I do feel that let what chances may befall me, I shall never feel another disappointment so bitter as this. James Anderson, upon making these few remarks, showed a disposition to drop the subject, and as it was one which certainly concerned himself more than any one else, Jack Pringle and the fisherman both agreed to say no more about it, and it rested. But although he said nothing, the matter was far indeed from being absent from the mind of James Anderson, for it occupied him wholly, and engaged his attention to that extent that all other thoughts were excluded therefrom most entirely and completely. Those who had afforded him so kindly a shelter were not unobservant spectators of the state of his mind, and Jack Pringle strove to move him from it by calling his attention to his obligations and duties in other respects. "'Come, messmate,' he said, 
ain't it time you should think o going to london to make your report of how you lost the dispatches that your captain committed to your care it is so said james anderson and i shall start this evening that's right and the best thing you could possibly do i can tell you you will get some new appointment and in the bustle of life you will soon forget all disappointments whatever if you go regularly into the service you are young enough yet to rise in it and you may yet live to have a pair of swabs upon your shoulders i can tell you at all events said anderson i can have the comfort of knowing that i have by being wrecked here made some acquaintance which i hope i may always have the pleasure to retain i feel myself now quite well enough to walk and i will go into the town and make some preparations for getting on to london which i am by your liberality mr pringle enabled to do jack made a wry face as he said whatever you do miss mate don't call me mr pringle my name's jack pringle it always has been jack pringle and always will be i begin to think as something must be the matter when anybody calls me mr pringle and i don't like it a bit i won't again then offend you by calling you mr but you shall be jack pringle if you like to me and i can only say that a more esteemed friend than yourself it is not likely i shall ever encounter in this world jack was always much more easy under censure let it come from where it might than under praise and consequently he fidgeted about in a most alarming manner while james anderson was professing to him his grateful feeling and at length he said belay there belay there old fellow that will do i don't want any more of that i can tell you it's a damned odd thing that a man cannot save a fellow-man's life without it being at all sorts of odd times thrown in his teeth in this way don't say any more about it i ain't used to being persecuted this was no affectation in jack pringle on the contrary it really was to him a positive persecution to be praised and as james anderson now felt fully convinced that such was the case he determined upon avoiding such for the future towards the dusk of the evening having attired himself as respectably as the wardrobe of the old seaman and his son would permit him for his own clothing had been completely spoiled by the salt water he proceeded to the town of anderbury by so proceeding jack pringle considered that his principal business would be to get some means of quick conveyance to london but james anderson had another motive in his walk to the town which he communicated to no one that motive was a strong desire to see helen williams if he possibly could before he left in order that he might hear from her own lips what it was that prevented her continuing her plighted faith towards him for he could not from all he knew of her character bring himself to believe that it was the wealth of her new suitor that had had any effect upon her no no he said i know her far better than for one half instant to do her such an injustice she must have been imposed upon with some account of my death or some artful and well-arranged tale of perhaps faithlessness upon my part has hurried her into the acceptance of the first offer that has been made to her if i could but obtain an interview with her for a few brief moments i should know all and either be able to take her to my heart again or to find ample reason for forgetting her he knew the way well to that house where he had frequently watched helen enter and emerge from but how to send any message to her was a matter which required great consideration 
He had been absent long enough, no doubt, for some changes to have been made in Mrs. Williams's household, so that although there had been in old times a servant who was favourable to him, and who would not only have taken his message to Helen, but would have told him all the news of the family, she, no doubt, had long since left. After thinking over the matter for some time, so as to come to a conclusion that the difficulty about getting any message or note delivered to Helen almost amounted to an impossibility, he saw a boy come out of the house, apparently to go on some errand, and with a feeling more of desperation than reflection, he spoke to him, saying, "'I think you came out of Mrs. Williams's house, my lad.' "'Yes, I did,' said the boy. "'What of that? Hit one of your own size. I haven't done nothing to you.' "'You mistake altogether, my boy. I am not going to touch you. You may depend. But on the contrary, I will reward you if you will answer me what questions I shall propose to you, and I assure you they are all such as you may honestly answer.' "'Well, I don't know. How much?' "'One shilling for every question.' "'That's a rum way of doing business, but it ain't so bad either. Ask away, and you shall soon see how I'll earn the shillings.' Is Miss Helen going to be married? Yes, a shilling. Who to? To the Baron's stall in there and a salt bug. Two shillings. Will you take a note from me to her, if I reward you extra for so doing? Oh, I begin to smell a rat. Yes, I will. You is some of the lover you is. Three shillings. I am. One shilling. What do you mean? Why, my young friend? If I pay you a shilling a question, I don't see why I should not charge you at the same rate. So don't ask me anything, and then you will get all the shillings to yourself, you understand? Oh, I doesn't see any joke in that. I don't want to ask any questions, not I. What will you give me for taking the note? I think I ought to have half a crown, between you and me in the post, because, you see, if old Mother Williams was to catch me, she would serve me out pretty tidy. You shall have your own price of half a crown, and here is the note which I charge you mine to deliver into no hands but those of Helen herself. Oh, I'll do it. And what should I get if I bring you an answer back? Another half crown. So you see, you will make a very good evening's work of it, indeed, if you are clever and faithful. Give me the note, I'll do it. You may always trust me when there's anything to be got by it. My father brought me up to get my living, and he used to say to me, Caleb, says he, always do your duty, Caleb, to those who employ you when you go out to service in a family, unless somebody offers you something more not to do it. Quite a philosophical maxim, said James Anderson. I suppose you are in the service of Mrs. Williams. Yes, I am page of all work, I am. I do a little of everything, and make myself generally useful. Where will you wait for me? At this corner, and with a due regard to performing your part well, be as quick as you can on your mission, for I am rather impatient to see its results. Caleb, the page of all work, duly promised to be quick, and after completing an errand that he had been sent upon by Mrs. Williams, he returned to that lady's house. We cannot help thinking that after the principles in which Caleb had announced he had been brought up, it was rather an indiscreet thing of Anderson to trust him with a note that he had already prepared for Helen, in case an opportunity should present itself of getting it delivered to her. But he was desperate, and perhaps he did not so accurately weigh the pros and cons of the affair as he undoubtedly ought to have done. As it was, however, 
he had a faith in his messenger which we are sorry to say was most decidedly misplaced for caleb did show that he had not forgotten the lessons of his paternal relative but that on the contrary he was disposed to carry them out with great tact and perseverance whether or not he would of his own accord have set about scheming in the matter we cannot say but at all events he was spared that trouble for mrs williams had seen from one of the windows of her own house his interview with one who was a stranger to her for although she had once before he went to sea seen james anderson he was much altered and she did not recognize him and when caleb came in she called him into the parlor and shut the door caleb she said i insist upon knowing immediately who you were talking to just now in the street and who gave you a note caleb was rather staggered at this home question for he did not think that mrs williams had seen him and after a moment's pause he said what will you give me missus to know give give how dare you ask me such a question it's no use missus getting in a passion about it i've got an opportunity of earning eight shillings snugly and comfortably if you'll give me sixteen shillings i will tell you all about it and i don't mind saying beforehand that i know missus as you won't think it dear at that price no nor at three times as much if you could only guess what it was sixteen shillings it must be something wonderful in the way of news that i would give you such a sum for that's just what it is missus come now is it a bargain because i'm in a hurry and i've got never such a load of things to do well well caleb tell me what it is and give me the note not till i have the money missus oh no i knows better than that i've got a hold on the fellow as you saw me with but i haven't on you oh no the deuce a bit i must have the cash first and then you shall have the information and i'll tell you again that it ain't dear at the price as you will own yourself the curiosity as well as the suspicions of mrs williams were strongly excited for she began to suspect that something or other was going on in which her interests were involved inasmuch as upon mature consideration she had come to a conclusion that there was more in the visit of admiral green than quite met the eye well well she said i have only gold in my purse but you shall have the amount you may depend caleb if i promise you i haven't a doubt in the world said caleb but there is nothing like ready money missus so just hand us a sovereign and here is four shillings change which will be right you know all the world over this was vexatious but as it was quite clear that caleb had thoroughly made up his mind not to part with his information without the cash mrs williams was compelled to hand the amount to him which she did not do with the best grace in the world and then she said now i expect you to tell me all so i means missus you don't suppose i'd take sixteen shillings of you and not tell you all as i have to tell you no missus i'd scorn the action well well don't keep me in suspense but go on at once i will there's a chap at the corner of the street as wants me to give this here letter to miss helen and bring him back an answer a letter to helen this is news indeed and who was he that i don't know i was going to ask him but somehow or another i found out it was a great deal better left alone but i should not wonder missus but you will find out who he is if you read the note people you know usually put their blessed names at the end of their letters unless they sense what is called a synonymous one 
This was a good suggestion of Caleb's, and Mrs. Williams, without the smallest scruple as to the fact of opening a letter addressed to another person, tore asunder the envelope that covered young Anderson's epistle, and read as follows, in a sufficiently audible tone, to enable Caleb to hear every word of it, for in her intense eagerness she forgot the fact of his presence. "'Dearest Helen, I can still address you as such, because I have not yet heard from your own lips, although I have from the lips of others that you have forgotten me.' Can it be true that you are about in the face of heaven to plight those vows to another which were to be mine and mine only? I ask of you but to meet me, and tell me yourself that such is the case, and you will meet with neither persecutions or reproaches from me. Tell me that you are oppressed, and you know well that in me you have a defender. Name your own time and place of meeting me, and by the boy who will deliver this to you, let me beg of you, by the memory of our old affection, to send me an answer, yours ever, James Anderson. I say, Mrs., that's pitching it rather strong, said Caleb. End of chapter 113 Recording by Barony